0: Humans have always wanted to know, who are we descended from?
1: So I'm doing a little bit of detective work. I'm
2: looking at the marriage of my great aunt, Annie Glynn.
0: Thanks to accessible DNA testing, anyone can send a sample to a lab and figure out what percentage of what ethnicity they
1: are. The spell that I'm trying to cast on the world is getting more people to listen to their ancestors.
0: This is Mallory Vadoise. She's written an amazing book. honoring your ancestors and it's about how to connect to those who came before you even if you don't know exactly who they are
2: I think a lot of people the word veneration is very new for them
0: yeah
1: I love this word veneration because it actually comes from the same etymological root as the words wish and Venus so it's a root which means love desire strive And I find that all of those themes of loving, of striving, of desiring are things that come up in an ancestor veneration practice. It's it's a relationship which is built on love. And it's one where we strive to make contact with our loved ones who have crossed over, usually because there's something that we desire about this life.
0: It's easy to feel disjointed, disconnected, overwhelmed in today's modern, fast-paced world. There's something deeply grounding about knowing about your ancestors, whether they were Vikings, or they were healers in Africa. We work with ancestors. We work with the divine. Or they also bowed to their ancestors in Neo-Confucian rites. Also, we're giving away two copies of the book, so make sure you watch to the end. This talk with Mallory was such a revelation. She gives such amazing, accessible advice on how to get in touch with her roots. To get the full 100-minute interview, go to patreon.com slash witchesunwine.
2: Hello, everybody. Chawan here, and today my guest is somebody that I've been following online for a while. This is her latest book, Honoring Your Ancestors, and I am so happy to be speaking with Mallory Vaudoise. Am I saying your last name correctly? Yes, beautifully done. One of the things that really drew me to you was your emphasis, I mean, even before this book came out, on your Italian heritage and ancestor veneration. And as a Korean American, that's like the backbone of my spirituality, just in terms of my DNA. I'm curious to know how you got into this.
1: Yeah, well, it's funny because veneration can mean different things to different people. You know, for some people, even just doing something as secular as genealogy is a form of ancestor veneration. It is an extended meditation on what do we know and what do we not know. And I was really taught to honor my ancestors in a secular context. I grew up having a tremendous emphasis from both my mother and my father on awareness of the sacrifices that our immigrant ancestors had made coming from Southern Italy to the United States. And that had a huge impact on me. Then, as I got older, I realized that I was also interested in magic, ritual, spirituality. I have been initiated in Kimbanda, which is an Afro-Brazilian mediumship cult devoted to Eshu and Pomijira. And I've also been initiated into Santeria, also known as La Regla de Ocha, which is an Afro-Cuban lineage of uh, worship that is dedicated to the Orishas. And so I've also been exposed to uh, kind of Puerto Rican Espiritismo and other forms of Espiritismo or Spiritism, which are again, more kind of mediumship based. But it's been a real honor for me to be able to have that kind of contact with other traditions and it's something that you know i feel really really lucky to have been able to experience
2: in my own life i think a lot of people you know especially those who are new to witchcraft are going to be like wait a second but are you african in any way i mean when it comes to ancestors wouldn't it be like your bloodline yeah i mean i'm only african in the sense that in a way we all are <laughs> we've all descended from
1: one african woman Um, But, at the same time, my more recent ancestry is definitely from southern Italy uh, and uh, certain other parts of Europe. And so, when we talk about ancestors, yes, we are talking about the bloodline. We're talking about your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents. The bloodline has its place because we can't get around it. We made a pact with those beings in order to get into this world. And we need to continue honoring them for the duration of our stay here. But on the other hand, ancestry is so much more than that. So sometimes I think about ancestors in terms of deceased humans who have gifted us with something that is so core to our being that it might as well be our body. You know, obviously the bloodline ancestors, they gave us this body. They made it with their own bodies. But then think about the fact that, you know, I don't really have ancestors beyond, let's say, my grandparents who spoke English. And yet it's my mother tongue. It's the language that I know the best. It's the language that I dream in, that I think in, and so I have this relationship with my English language ancestors, which I still have to honor because without language, I wouldn't really be, um, you know, I might not even be fully human. I don't, I don't actually know. There's this tremendous importance, I think, to recognize not just the bloodline, but also all of the ancestors who created the language that we speak and the way that we hook and the clothes, you know, the types of clothes that we wear. Uh, I like to think about everyday forms that seem so common that it's almost as though they've always been there, but somebody invented tables, (laughs) somebody invented sofas, and somebody invented houses, you know? Um, So it's like we're always surrounded by the gifts that nature has given us and the gifts that the ancestors have given us.
2: You put in David Bowie in your book and how after he passed away, there were shrines, just spontaneous shrines for him like on the street. I mean, he really affected a lot of people. I
1: think artists whose work has been very important to us, like they are in a way almost like what I would call a saint. Um, So we have certain ancestors who are more, you know, they're they're individuals. And uh, if it's an individual who's kind of unique to us and isn't really venerated by other people, I would refer to that as a spirit guide. Um, So they might choose to walk with you because there's something about your life that's really resonant with them. Um, or, you know, they saw you one day and just thought like, oh, that looks like an interesting person, I want to help them out. You know, there's spirits in this building that I live in, there's spirits out on the street, there's spirits in the subway, there's spirits really everywhere that we go. Some places tend to attract particular types of spirits, and other places may attract other types of spirits. And, um, you know, it's also subject to other things like what time of year it is and what time of day it is um but at the end of the day we're all already in contact with spirits all the time it's just a matter of how consciously aware we are of the impact that they're having on us and the impact that we are having on them and ancestors in particular our body is like an anchor for them and it's uh particularly influential on us because we we can't escape it you know we could Um, move to another city and escape the spirits of place that are surrounding us right now, never look back. But our ancestors are going to be following us throughout this lifetime. And so I really view it as we have a choice. We can either take that relationship and make it something that is conscious and thus something that we can consciously Develop influence, uh, leverage, get you know, get guidance from, um, receive blessings from, or we can let it remain unconscious. And if we let it remain unconscious, the likelihood that ancestral trauma or uh, bad habits, patterns that are um, not in our best interest are going to keep playing out in our lives is very, very high. Couple things.
2: I know a lot of people are going to be like, number one, I don't know who my ancestors are. Number two, my ancestors were shit. You know, like my grandfather, he did horrible things to my family, what have you. Or they might just be like, I'm adopted, or I just don't have any sort of connection. I know a lot of Korean American adoptees, so. Mm. I mean, their ancestors are very different, you know, completely on another different continent. It's a very important question and
1: definitely having met a lot of people through the book, both offline and online, uh, I feel like people generally tend to fall into one of two camps either. They're very excited about their ancestors, that you know, they lo- they have a easy, let's say, flowing relationship with their family. Um, and they find that this is an immediate source of support and love, Um, or they feel maybe even like they're broken because they don't have that for whatever reason. Um, And I really believe that wherever you're at today is completely valid, and it is a natural and sacred expression of the reality of where your ancestral line is. Just being able to uh, to stay with that mystery and to admit it to yourself is actually very healthy. Um, and you don't need to have a list of names and dates. Although that can be helpful for some people, reciting that, learning it by heart, can be a great practice. But you don't need to have it in order to venerate your ancestors. You can reach out to them just by calling upon them as, you know, I I call out to my ancestors of blood and of spirit. You know, that line alone will get you pretty far. If you have ancestors who you're not that comfortable with, um, because you know that they did things that were bad in this life, then, you know, I think it's important to remember that you're the one who's alive today, which means you're the one who's in the driver's seat. And so if that means you don't feel comfortable putting up your grandfather's photo on an altar because you feel uncomfortable every time you see his face, then you don't have to do it. And, you know, hey, maybe 10 years down the line, you will feel comfortable doing that. Maybe he will continue to evolve as I believe we all do after death and you'll be able to put his photo back up there. But today, do what you can do today. And for people who were adopted, as you mentioned, you know, I think that this is actually uh, a much more common thing than most of us realize. Um, and in a way, you know, you have two sets of ancestors when you're in that situation. You have the ancestors of your bloodline and then immediately after that, you have the ancestors of your adoptive family. And adoption, when it's formalized um, through some kind of ritual, I consider that a type of initiation. You know, those are that's a line that has chosen to identify you as one of their own. So it's like, you know, hey, if they're not technically the bloodline, don't try to tell them that because because they might not like it. Um, They might consider you as much or, or, or more their own child than somebody who, you know, actually has the
2: genetic affiliation. One of the things that I'm constantly running up against when I talk to, especially people who are new in spirit work, this idea that it's human beings who evolve and change over time, but spirits for some reason, it's like, once you die, it's like, that's it. You never change. Mm -hmm. But from what I'm learning, it's quite the opposite. Spirits can evolve and change tremendously, just like human beings. Like times change, things change, everything changes. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people it's like mind blown when they consider that. Absolutely.
1: And, um, the idea that spirits continue to evolve, even the ones who were once incarnate and now are not, is central to spiritism or spiritismo. Um, I believe it's found in spiritualism as well. Uh, A lot of traditions that are based in mediumship that is seeking contact with spirits in order to uh, basically ask them for advice and, and opinions on stuff. Um, recognize that spirits continue to evolve after death uh, and that's one of the reasons why uh, why these types of traditions seek out their advice rather than just going and asking more living people for advice because they have a broader perspective a perspective which is based on the entirety of their human life and then everything that they've seen and experienced
2: since then This sounds amazing. I want to get more grounded with my ancestors, whether they be blood ancestors or um, inspiration ancestors. So what is your recommendation of the first thing a person does after they listen to this interview and they're like, "Okay," I like to recommend to people that you start with just a candle
1: and a glass of water. Uh, And this is something that you find uh, deployed very effectively in spiritist traditions, uh, the candle being the fire element, the light of God. Also, if you, for whatever reason, you know, you can't get to a candle or you're not allowed to burn candles, or um, maybe you're living with people who are very suspicious of anything that looks even vaguely occult-y, you might want to just go to your stove after everybody else is asleep. Um, And you can light one of the burners, because the stove is a modern manifestation of the hearth, which is where most household religions, uh, you know, cross-culturally often end up taking place, the place where, you know, food is prepared. So the ancient Greeks, for example, would perform rites related to welcoming a new baby into the home, or their funerary rites involved the hearth, and um, also rites where they were making very important and solemn vows.
2: you can just go and light one of the burners for a couple of seconds and pray there so let's say you're just like okay my super fundamentalist christian mom and dad they like are about to go to sleep or they're watching tv and i'm like i'm gonna make some tea right so you go to the stove and do you have to say out loud or can you just say it in your head like ancestors can i can i chill with you can i hang with you i like to say it out loud
1: even if you're just
2: whispering Okay. Um, and I've done that at
1: times, like kind of on the down low, just like whispering under my breath because I have, a, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of stuff going on in my head, right? When you say something out loud, it's almost like you're anointing that thought, you know, mm. you're like, oh, this is the chosen one, this is the <laughs> I'm choosing to share with the world. Um, ah. And it's also, you know, its it's the vibration as well, you know, speech is vibration. Um, that the, the waves of those sound waves, they never quite disappear, it's again a matter of degree, they just kind of get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until they're infinitesimally small, but they're still vibrating forever right. off into the universe and for the rest of eternity. Right. Um, so that's a really powerful magical act, speaking, that um, you even if you're not shouting it at the top of your lungs, you know, you're in the kitchen, you're making yourself a cup of tea, and right before you put the, um, the kettle on, you just whisper to it, you know, I'm calling out to you. I know you're there. I know that you can hear me right now, and I want to say that I honored you. Like, that's going to mean so much to ancestors who, you know, if your parents are fundamentalist Christians,
2: chances are they're not getting any attention from anybody else in the family right now. Like, my ancestors, as far as I'm concerned, for generations born generations, 100% Korean. And I'm the first or second generation that speaks English. Does it matter if I speak to my ancestors in English? I think it's fine. I mean, they... You know, even if they're all, I
1: I don't know enough about the history of the um, Korean language, but with English, you know, go back a couple hundred years and it doesn't sound anything like the way that we're talking right now. Maybe we might even think about it as like, as you're speaking, you know, the immediate generations are translating and then they're translating for the next generation and the next and the next and so on and so forth. Um, Or maybe it's just like, you know, when you're dead, it doesn't matter as much because you don't have ears technically. You don't have a brain. You're not trying to do that type of processing. I don't know how it works. I just know that it works.
2: One of the the rituals that you talk about in the book, which I was like, oh my God, this is so great, is where you put like a book under like the white cloth. Can you talk about that ritual?
1: Sure. So that is a ritual that was taught to me by an espiritista, um, which is aimed at elevating a troubled ancestor. So um, I'm not an expert. I'm not an initiate. I'm not an espiritista um, and I I have a lot of respect for that tradition but I have learned a couple of um, tools of the trade so to speak over the years from my friends who are very serious students Um, and one of them is this ritual. Uh, And so the aim of this ritual is ultimately to take an ancestor who is troubled, Uh, maybe they had a difficult life, maybe they're still causing issues uh, now that they've passed on and to help them to find peace and stability. With this ritual, you take the glass of water um, and you put it on top of a white cloth, and then every day you put a book beneath it, um, beneath the cloth, you know, you move, obviously you move the glass so that it doesn't fall over, and then you put another book there for that day, and then you might say some kind of prayer, whether that's a traditional prayer or whether that's just you speaking from the heart. And then at the end of the nine days, um, my own little addition to this traditional ritual is, you know, treat yourself. You just did something that's really hard. And if you think that it's been successful and this spirit has, um, you know, you've seen the difference, you've seen the progress that they've made, maybe you can treat them too. You already know on some level who your ancestors are, whether the relationship is challenging or easy. Um, You probably have intuitions about how you want to honor them and following your intuition and experimenting and then seeing if it works or if it doesn't and, um, and adjusting based on that is ultimately the practice. So the book is really just there to make sure that you feel supported that you don't get stuck, to give you inspirations from other traditions, uh, and to help, to help nurture you, especially if this is a challenging relationship that you're trying to develop. Um, or even if it's not a challenging relationship, if you just want new ideas, there's nothing that is prescriptive in the book. I really do view it as almost like you know, a friend for you to talk to as you're doing the work yourself so that you feel
2: a little bit less alone and a little bit more connected. So treat yourself and treat the ancestors. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to be like, treat yourself and the ancestors, like what, get a pedicure? what about the ancestors?
1: Yeah, it can be a little bit of sweetness, a little, a little, a little honey, a little sugar what have you. Um, You know, maybe a little piece of cake, maybe Uh, I I actually do think with regard to like pedicures and massages, I think that that actually does benefit both you and your ancestral line. I think all body work, because our body is a manifestation of our own spirit and it was created by the ancestors. When we take care of our bodies, whether that is, you know, working out, eating right, getting a pedicure, feeling fabulous, getting a massage... all the work that we do with our bodies. And when we honor that, we're honoring the gift that they gave us. And conversely, when we don't take care of our bodies, or, um, you know, when we're even maybe abusive to our bodies, it's like we're disrespecting that gift. When you find the ways to honor that gift, um, you know, it's it's just as powerful as
2: if you had put out a plate of offerings,
1: or, um, you know, done a big fancy
2: ritual. Oh my God, that really moved me because just what you said, it just struck me as the ultimate truth. You are the, the product of thousands of years, millions of years of evolution. You know, like all the hopes of our mm-hmm. DNA is culminated in you. And so this makes complete sense to me that when you are taking care of yourself and you're respecting your altar, you're walking constant altar you know you don't just need an altar like in your room this is your altar as well you know and when you are venerating this altar you're venerating all the ancestors all the people who died and like fell into like some sort of like icy crevasse or something like that you know trying to get some food to feed their baby or whatever back in this ice age or whatever you know so that makes so much sense to me when you do the elevating of your ancestors the ones who need healing you're also healing yourself, obviously, because your body is a vehicle that they helped to produce.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
2: when, at the last day, you do that twist of treating yourself and the ancestor. Let's say that what you decide to do is you're going to have a sumptuous meal, right? You're gonna have this great steak dinner with wine and everything like that. Like, before you eat it, would you give a prayer? Like, how would you, how would you fi- formalize the let's treat mm-hmm. ourselves thing? Yeah, what I like to do is for any of the food that I cook in
1: my own home, I will take a small small portion of it, like a, a bite or two, and I will put it out on my ancestor altar uh, and offer it up to them before I start to eat. Although again, if you're in a home where you're not able to have an ancestor altar, what you can do instead is to just like take that little teeny tiny portion, again, it's it's just like a bite of food, Um, And just sort of like push it to the side of your plate and do that with intention. And, you know, if you are able to maybe say a quick prayer as you're doing that, that's fine. If not, uh, sometimes body language is more than enough. And especially if you build up the habit, they know what it means. Um, Push it to the side of your plate and then just eat the rest of the food. Um, And so that's a good way, you know, to uh, both provide an offering to them, something that is going to nourish them and ground them and make them stronger so that they can have more of a a presence in your life but it's also because you're eating the same food it's connecting you to them you're going through this experience together and it's all the more um powerful as a devotional Mm -hmm. practice because of the fact that you're basically having a meal together
2: oh my god you're literally like breaking bread together exactly oh my god like a lot of people are gonna be like okay I really don't want to fuck it up you know like I put aside the offering but is there like certain things that I can say like I don't trust myself right now to like say the right thing so does your book go through maybe some um, prayers or pre-made scripts that people can use
1: yeah for all of the rituals that I give in the book there are um, simple scripts to follow Because again, it's not about like, you know, reading them Hamlet. It's about the, you know, the words mark the energetic exchange that is happening um, and helps you, you know, kind of formalize it, which is why we're speaking out loud, because you're achieving a level of uh, clarity in your own mind and for them. Um, There's also a chapter on prayer where I go into different prayers from a couple of different uh, religious traditions that you might adopt maybe because that's your religious tradition or, um, or if it's the tradition of your ancestors, um, maybe you're uh, like me, you have Catholic ancestry, but even if you're not a practicing Catholic, you can still pray the requiem. You can still use their prayers for them. It's 100% okay. But also I think it's, you know, to, to return to that idea that maybe somebody doesn't feel confident enough to pray from the heart, Like, those can be the most effective prayers. Um, And one, one way that you kind of know that you're really, really going deep in your prayer life is when you're able to pray out loud the things that you're afraid to even write down in your own journal because it's just so intimate and delicate. And when you break those barriers, when you make yourself vulnerable, that is like leveling up an ancestor veneration because something that was blocking you, whether that was um, you know a painful memory or shame or um, even just you know your own, your own anxieties about like, "Oh my gosh, what if I do it wrong?" you've just broken through that thing. It's no
2: longer holding you back. In that sense, ancestral veneration, I can see this as also great shadow work.
1: Oh, absolutely. Because when you think about it, you know, a lot of psychologists will tell you the shadow is what develops when as a child, you were taught by your caregiver that acting in this way or demonstrating this trait or doing this thing, is uh, a violation of social norms and you will be disowned by the group you will be ostracized and ostracization means death especially to a child i mean to any one of us no man is an island we all need each other in order to survive but especially to a child you you can't get a job you can't cook your own food you're a Mm -hmm. kid You, you you have no power in this world yet you don't have um you know a firm foundation in the world and so that's how in a a psychological sense shadow arises is through those early childhood traumas whether they're big traumas uh or whether they're small traumas like just being told that you know you as a boy can't cry or you know as a girl you need to stay inside because you're more delicate and you know going out is for boys whatever whatever the thing is that you went through as a as a child um, but when it becomes not just psychology, but ancestor veneration, is when we remember that those limitations that our parents or caregivers were placing on us are things that they experienced in their only ch- early childhood formation from their parents or caregivers, and going back further and further and further through the generations so a lot of what we work on even when we go to like very vanilla uh psychotherapy is in fact ancestral trauma it is the materialist evidence of that ancestral trauma and it's especially powerful when you take both uh approaches to it when you are able to understand what the psychological process you're going through is like And when you're able to ritualize that process and understand it from the point of view of an animist framework that is recognition that we are not just materialist uh, beings, that we're actually already in a spiritual ecosystem. It's really ultimately about learning how to think like an animist. And then the veneration is what you do when you have started thinking like an animist and you've decided, you know, this is a good relationship and a relationship that I want to continue developing. Um, but thinking about things in terms of, you know, why do I have this name? Why did my parents give me this name? Who was I named after? Maybe I was named after a deceased relative, or maybe I was named after one of the saints, or maybe, you know, I was named after, you know, something that my you know, in, in recognition of something my mother went through when I was born. Um, This starts to help you locate yourself within the animus ecosystem. And from there, you can make better decisions about how to express your love because you understand kind of um, the rules of the game that you're playing. So this is something that I talk about a lot, particularly in the chapter on offerings, is, you know, it's not like there's a specific schedule of like, okay, every Sunday... I have to give this particular offering, and then every Thursday I give this different one, and like you know, it has to be regimented on a schedule. Um, Offerings, when we have the ability to make them, because we have the space to make them, and we have uh, you know the like the financial ability to do so, are ultimately about um, expressing something energetically. Uh, Maybe it is something that you are asking for, or maybe it's something that you're giving thanks for. Um, so that's why I, for example, will often offer a pot of coffee to my ancestors when I'm sitting down to do work because Mm. I want to ask them to get up and to work with me and to, um, you know, to, to be more active. You might give them coffee before you, if you're asking them for a favor on the flip side, when you're celebrating, when some, you know, some favor has been received, you might give them, you know, champagne, or a slice of cake, or something that feels celebratory to you, or something that they really loved in their lifetimes. Um, So, you know, you don't, uh, it's not like there's a, 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 a chart in the book that tells you, okay, this means that you're already alive and so you know what coffee is like and you know what champagne is like and you know when you have cake. Um, and by going back to, you know, training yourself to go back to what you already know, that's how you start to think like an animus and that's what the book is really written to accomplish or to help you accomplish
2: for yourself. I know a lot of occultists are gonna be like, well, but I mean, our ancestors really that powerful and maybe that's the reason why they're going after like the big angels and demons.
1: I mean, what is power? Like my mom used to say when I was growing up, she brought me into this world. She can take me out anytime she wants. (laughs) Yeah, mom is superpower. (laughs) Um, In in all seriousness, though, I, I do think that anything we want to accomplish in this life is going to go over more easily if we're in good health. Uh, If our body is taken care of, even if that's, you know, like a five hour evocation ritual, that's going to go over a lot easier if you're in good shape and you don't have a lot of health problems Um, and health in particular is something that is associated with the ancestors. You know, just as they're anchored by our body, that's also how they can kind of mess with us. Um, so I definitely, you know, caution people to, to be respectful. And even if you are not the type of person who thinks that you're going to be honoring your ancestors every day, saying prayers for them every day, uh, try not to
2: say anything that sounds rude. (laughs) Um, let me ask you about that. Um, you mentioned that the ancestors might mess with you and let's face it, like I personally have been told that there is an ancestor not that he's messing with me but he's you know not the most healthy energy around me so let's talk a little bit about that dark side
0: it's not all love and light
2: here
1: well when i say insult i'm definitely not talking about like oh i accidentally offended them because i you know maybe i had my ancestor altar in my bedroom and they saw my butt or whatever Mm -hmm. like you're not it's it's offense I think with the ancestors because they are family ultimately usually comes when you do something deliberately like trash talking them because you don't think they're as powerful as other types of spirits or whatever it is that you you know you might be doing out of hubris um, I think good character is what is ultimately pleasing to the ancestors um, doing right by them and by other spirits and living beings is what is pleasing to them um, being you know having bad character on the other hand, being abusive, being, you know, a bad person, um, those are the things that they find truly offensive and truly insulting. Be respectful, again, like please, thank you, and excuse me, these are the magic words. Spend some time every day speaking into your ancestor altar, whether that's, you know, a burner on your stove or a formal altar, and say nice things about them. Mm -hmm. And say, you are so, kind and loving and you are this you are that really get into it um so that they can kind of be like oh yeah you know i am kind of like that
2: you have chapters for it's more than just the ancestor part you have a chapter on spiritual hygiene about mediumship why is spiritual hygiene and mediumship why were those important chapters to add to this book so in many ways i actually secretly
1: believe that the mediumship chapter is the most important thing in the book because i you know my goal in writing this book the the spell that i'm trying to cast on the world is getting more people to listen to their ancestors which is also by the way part of the reason why it's such a short book and why there's so much emphasis on practice rather than theory because i don't want people to listen to what i have to say i want them to get in touch with their ancestors and start hearing what they have to say. In a way, the real work begins after you finish the book and you have that working relationship. And now, all of a sudden, you're getting all this guidance. And now, you know, maybe you have your life has improved along the way. Your health has improved. You have more stability. What now? Uh, that's when the real the real initiation happens. Mediumship. The idea there is ultimately not necessarily to be able to conduct a seance or to summon a specific spirit from your ancestral line, but rather to open yourself up to the wisdom of your ancestors, both as individuals and as a collective, which you're already, you know, perceiving on some level. You just might not be consciously aware of it and you might not be integrating it properly. And then spiritual hygiene is something that becomes more important as we're doing mediumship Both so that the channel will remain clear and we'll be, you know, perceiving our ancestors and not some, you know, we're perceiving the signal, we're not perceiving the noise. A lot of the, let's say, intro level advice, the like one on one advice that you're going to receive is about whether you're living your life right. So, you know, is your room clean? Did you take a shower today or this week? Are you brushing your teeth? (laughs) Emphasizing hygiene is like you get to. You get to skip the 101 stuff and go straight to the 201 material in mediumship, Um, the more interesting things. And that's not something that I can predict for you because I don't know you and I don't know your ancestors. Um, And part of the reason why I think it's important for people to develop this practice for themselves because you actually know better in a way than anybody else what your ancestors need because you're a part of them and they're a part of you. And so um, over time, I think, you know, there are a couple of patterns that people definitely see in terms of like, you know, having better luck and they dream more, they become more psychically sensitive, their health gets better, their love life gets better. Um, you know, their, their living family also start to benefit. That's a big thing as well. Um, even if you don't tell them about what you're doing, they get like these fringe benefits from the work that you're doing. It travels down through the line and hits them on the way, basically. Um, But the specifics, no one can predict today. The first couple of chapters sort of take you step-by-step through the process of understanding who your ancestors are, healing ancestral trauma, and starting a devotional practice to your ancestors. Optionally, maybe creating an ancestor altar and then maybe starting to give offerings. And then the second half of the book gets into more chapters that are a little bit more advanced, where we start to talk about spiritual hygiene, mediumship, and spell work. Um, And so, for those chapters, you know, you might find yourself picking and choosing which ones are most appropriate to where you are and where you want to be. But I think, you know, anybody can really pick up the book, and because of the fact that It's written more to be a mirror, to reflect back at you your own process and to help you learn how to think like an animist. Anybody can benefit from it regardless of where they're at on their journey because it's going to, wherever you are, it will meet you there and reflect back to you the things that maybe you're not aware of um,
2: that then you can start to develop. Guys, I have two copies and these are to give away. Is there a question that you would like to ask the audience?
1: I would like to ask people, what is the most important thing that you were taught by an ancestor? Again, it can be a blood ancestor, or another type of ancestor. It can be something that they taught you while they were living or something that they taught you now that they've passed on. So what is the most important thing that one of your ancestors
2: has taught you? Uh, please write in the comments below Uh, Again, like what is something that you've learned from your ancestors, something important that you've learned? What I'll probably do is I'll randomly choose two winners after I look through all the comments. And so before we close, Mallory, if you had to choose three pieces of music that describe your ancestor veneration, who would they be? Or what would they be? Oh my gosh. Okay, so only three well
1: uh i as i mentioned before i've studied in some of my ancestral traditions which are primarily traditions of music and dance from southern italy um and so one of my all-time favorite bands uh who plays in this genre is called Canzoniere grecanico salentino or cgs for short and i think if i was going to pick one of their albums it would probably be Pizzica in Diavolata, which means the endeviled pizzica. Pizzica being the style of music, um, or we might translate it as wild or savage pizzica. Um, And that is an album that has a lot of modern arrangements of traditional songs that come out of a tradition of musical exorcism, wherein uh, women who uh, we would say in Italian were bit by the spider, but in reality, we know they were um, possessed by spirits of the dead. They would be put through an exorcism ritual, which would be three to seven days of ecstatic dance. Um, And so that album really takes me back to the ecstatic dances of my ancestors and the, the Crazy women um, who who danced to them. Um, so that would be number one. Um, number two, I would probably do the Arcade Fire's album Reflector. Which actually, it's funny that you mentioned David Bowie earlier because he was one of their mentors, and he's featured on the track that's called Reflector. Um, but the album is kind of a modern day take on uh, the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice, um, which is important to me because Orphism was a. Um, you know, it was a religious tradition based on one's relationship with the dead and one's own eventual death and how to navigate the afterlife, which, uh, you know, has come from Greece, but which was also very popular in southern Italy uh, and in Sicily. And so um, even though the music is not traditional by any means, um, nevertheless, the material that they're drawing on uh, does come from this broader cultural tradition that has influenced my own roots tremendously. Um, And then for the Third, I would probably do Florence and the Machine, High as Hope. Which is uh, not traditional music and not based on traditional material to my knowledge, but which nevertheless is an album which is just such, um, such powerful medicine for this age. And as we were talking about earlier, like, this is a time that seems almost hopeless, you know, 10 years? Do we have even 10 years? Um, and the album, i I, my take on it is that it really is meant to be an inoculation against despair. Um, mm-hmm. And I do think that uh, Florence is, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more magical than she lets on in public, and she already seems pretty magical, so um yeah that would probably be album number three
2: yeah i love florence and the machine oh love it. you know that lizzo she toured with them
1: what yeah oh, can't believe she, i missed that
2: yeah she toured with them earlier this year or so or was it last year so yeah i was just like that makes a lot of sense lizzo is also a bona fide witch you know okay oh, like, totally. yeah totally totally
1: yeah, she's like 22, and she's one of the biggest
2: stars in the world. Oh, her stuff is just so inspiring. My Russian students, so I talked to them about pop culture, and I went over, like, the lyrics for Truth Hurts with one of my students. And, you know, it's difficult for them to really understand, like, slang and stuff. But, mm-hmm. man, once I went through the lyrics with them, they were just like, oh, my God, this girl is so cool. They <laughs> <I'm> just like... <laughs> They are like, oh my god, this is so cool. Guys, again, the book is called Honoring Your Ancestors. It's a guide to ancestral veneration. And Mallory, again, thank you so much for this conversation. I had so many light bulb moments. I'm kind of a chilly like Virgo moon, like Venus and Aquarius type of person. But I mean, something about ancestor veneration, it just really like opens up my heart. And Mm. so. Any sort of topic that opens up my heart like that, I think, is just full of powerful healing. And so I'm actually really looking forward to having your message spread to the world because I really feel as though that's one of the ways that we can actually help bring back hope and healing to the world and hopefully have it lift up instead of be in the state of despair that it is right now. So thank you so much again, Mallory.
0: Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Witches & Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You
2: can choose between a few membership tiers. They're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps
0: rank this podcast higher in searches, so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan, signing off.